He's a well-respected high school football scout, known for his unpopular opinion and brash commentary. The coach, Keith Miller. He's a well-respected national high school football recruiting analyst. Craig, Craig Biggins. Together they bring you the transparent truth. The world's number one source for high school football recruiting news and interviews. The transparent truth. Tr- 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 <laughs> welcome, welcome. You now listen to the transparent truth. It's your boy, Coach Keith. I'm in the building, CBS Studios, live in the Miracle Mile. I'm here with my man, the GOAT, Greg Biggins. What up, GB? What up, Keith? You barking again this Dude, week? I'm feeling good. I don't have Monster. I don't need, I got natural juice. This is kind of a big week for high school footballers. I heard there's a big game uh, on Friday. I've heard that rumor. So I'm kind of I'm kind of jacked up for it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it might be a little something out there. We're going to look at things. Could be good. We got a good show lined up. We're going to talk recruiting news. Then we're going to our top performers. We got a sleeper of the week. We've got some excellent games to recap from last week. Then we're going to look at the, the games that are coming up. We got a couple guests that are going to join us today, GB. We do. A couple good friends of mine. Brandon Huffman, who's been on the show before, is going to give us a little Northwest report. As well as my good buddy, Blair Angulo who covers just about everything out west. There's some a lot of flipping going on. We had three big flips. That means, for those who don't know what that means, it means a player who was committed somewhere and he flipped from that school onto another school. So Blair will give us a rundown of that as well as a couple of, a couple other updates. So should be a good show. I'm excited about it. Yeah, we got a great show. So uh, without further ado, we're going to get to my man GB. We got recruiting news. The Transparent Troops Recruiting Report. Greg Biggins hit us and hit us hard. Yeah, so the big one was obviously Arizona quarterback Tyler Shuck committed to UNC, North Carolina. He flipped to Oregon. That was huge. Again, we have Blair come on and talk about that in just a minute. Also, I'm going to have Blair talk about Utah flipping not one but two players that were committed to BYU out of Harriman, Utah. Talking about Tavita Fotu and Jaron Kump. UNLV running back Chad Mygaard had a really good season, like nice, nice downhill running back, big kid, 6'1", 210 pounds. He committed to UNLV, so really nice pickup there for the running Rebs. Delano Ware out of El Cerrito in Richmond, California. Now, if you play out of Richmond, you got to be very tough. This kid's a physical safety. Watched his film a little bit last night. Uh, I like the way he plays. A defensive back. He's going to Nevada. Obviously, you can see what Nevada's doing. They're, they're getting tough guys. They got a lot of guys in that staff that just preach toughness, and they're recruiting. Guys, that are definitely tough. And then Naylan Fumana from Carson going to San Diego State. Again, nice little safety linebacker, can do a lot of different things. And I'm a fan of Naylan's game. He played his first game last week. Had to sit out the first five games. Carson kind of t- took on the chin a little bit uh, from Narbonne. But Naylan, uh, he's a big-time player. Again, they can kind of move him around, play some safety, play some in the box, play some linebacker. He's, that's, ex- that's exactly how he is going to be used. Uh, any of those guys, Coach, kind of ring a bell for you? Any of those guys you'd like, especially? Yeah, I like the safety out of Carson. Okay, Naylon? Yeah, he, he plays fast. He plays physical. Like you said, he just got eligible on the national transfer deadline. <laughs> uh, but I, I like him. He's an aggressive player. And I know at San Diego State, Coach Rocky Long, he puts a premium on aggressive physical football players. His team plays that way. He's an aggressive physical football coach, so I think it's a great pickup there for the Aztecs. We also had a lot of players taking official visits this past weekend. Texas A&M hosted a couple players from SoCal. Jeremiah Martin from Cajon. Also Cam McDonald from Long Beach Poly, a USC commit. We're both out there. They've been trying so hard to get a player from, from SoCal for a long time. They came closer than people think to getting Jack Jones from Long Beach Poly a few years back. Jeff Banks, who's their lead recruiter out from Southern California from A&M, does a great job 
Uh, but Cam McDonald, Jeremiah Martin, uh, both took their visits. Tanner McKee took a visit to Texas. Talked to Tanner a little bit last night. He took a visit Saturday, Sunday, came home Monday. He loved it. I think Texas really put themselves in a, in a good spot. I think he likes that offense a lot. Said he spent a lot of time with Coach Herman. Uh, Stanford is still... I don't know if they're the leader, but I keep thinking Stanford is going to be in it to the end. And BYU, obviously, that's the church school for him. Tanner's uh, LDS, and uh, he's a guy who uh, will take his mission right out of high school. And I, I think there's no bigger fan of Tanner McKee than you, Coach Keith. Yeah. Uh, last game, he just went off. I think he threw for 280, rushed for 200-plus. I mean, he's got the most unique skill set probably of almost any quarterback, not just out west, but in the country. Yeah. Uh, a guy with elite arm talent and, and better than advertised athleticism. Mm. Tanner has been fantastic this entire year. We didn't get a chance to see him full go against IMG when it came to the West Coast, but been a big fan of his for a long time. Love Jeremiah Martin. Took his t- trip to Texas A&M. Elite pass rusher. I think he's going to be an NFL player. Cam McDonald as well. A hybrid tight end receiver with tremendous length and ball skills. So a big time group. Uh, taking the trips to, lo- to the Long Star State, Greg. Yeah, Michigan also hosted a trio of SoCal players. Julius Irving from Servite, Amon Ross St. Brown, Modern Day High School, and Brian Addison from Sarah. Talk about three power programs. Uh, Michigan kind of a little bit of an upset loss at home to Michigan State. I don't think anybody expected that to happen. So uh, talk to Brian Addison. Again, when I have my, my guy Blair come on, he spoke with Julius Irving. But talking to Addison, he, it was kind of a unique trip in that he didn't have a host. He kind of said, you know, the players were so ticked off after that loss that the players kind of just hung out at the hotel kind of yeah. amongst themselves. Usually you hear these players going out and getting after it a little bit. Yeah, having a little, had a little fun. Yeah, I, I'm hoping he still had some fun, but I, I don't know uh, – you know, Addison's a fun kid. He could probably have fun anywhere. But, yeah, not your typical visit from that standpoint. And, and then got to throw this in there. I don't know if it you know, really applies to recruiting notes, but unfortunately, great kid. Bo Calvert broke his leg out for the season. Uh, again, uh, Oaks Christian kid, a USC commit. Uh, there was some concern when he went down that it might have been a, a knee. Yeah. Uh, so that you always fear, you know, an ACL or an MCL. But he was happy that it was just a broken leg, a clean break. He'll have a full recovery. Bo's just a, a salt of the earth, just a really good, solid kid. So hopefully, Bo, wish you a speedy recovery uh, and get back on the field as soon as possible. Yeah, no question. Uh, prayers out to you, Bo Calvert. Speedy recovery, like Greg said. A big-time outside linebacker that showed the most versatility as a young guy to play safety, to play in, to play backer. Uh, he's a good athlete, and, and you know, hopefully he heals up quick and gets back to training, getting prepared for his freshman football year. Also had Brandon Caho, who again, I'm going to have my guy Blair speak on. Blair's taking over the show when he comes on. Uh, Blair, just be patient, man. A couple more seconds for you. But Brandon Caho took an unofficial visit to USC and tweeted out, I'll be back. Arnold Schwarzenegger said those same words one time. He's been back about five or six yes, different absolutely. times. Absolutely. Those same sequels, movie. man. Those yeah. sequels keep coming back. Uh, I think Caho still might be committed to BYU. It's yes. been kind of one of the otter commitments only because it's been uh, he keeps cutting his list down from 9 to 8 to 6 to 5 while he's committed. You just don't see too many committed players have a list. Yeah. You know, whatever. Uh, good for you, Brendan Caho. We both love him. Oregon had a huge group of unofficial visitors headlined by Devin Williams, Talanoa Hufenga, 2019 running back Austin Jones, then Florida unofficially hosted Matt Corral. Uh, there was some buzz about Matt's commitment to Florida not being uh, necessarily strong as Oak, but he came out of that trip and said, you know what, I am locked in. I'm a reaffirm my commitment to Florida. I'm going to be a Gator. That's Matt Corral said that. That's interesting. Yeah, I heard, interesting. I, heard, I heard some rumors as well uh, about Matt, but uh, hey, if, if he's recommitted and reaffirmed his commitment to the Gators, uh, I think that's a good fit. 
Coach McElwain is a great quarterbacks coach, great offensive coordinator. When he was with Alabama, he's been doing a great job as a head coach. So um, if I were Matt Corral, I'd go there. Yeah, shoot, Gainesville, beautiful place. Yeah, great athletes around great you. Great athletes around, like some of the best in the world. Sure. No doubt about it. So without further ado, let's get my guy Blair Angulo to come on. Blair, thank you for coming on, man. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, GB, I have one question. Does, does, does the G and GB stand for GOAT? It does not. Although the wife calls me GOAT, so if you want to call me GOAT, I'm okay goat with that. GOAT Biggins. I think we got a new nickname. <laughs> You know what, Blair, honestly, so Blair's a guy who doesn't like to brag or anything, but he kind of reminds me of a young of a young GB. Okay, go you with know, it. He does everything well. Mm-hmm. He has that new believers. Blair, how long have you been doing this in this business? Uh, about five and a half, six years. I mean, Blair uh, does everything right. I like it. And so maybe I shouldn't say he reminds me of me because I didn't do a whole lot right when I was younger. But I had that new believer zeal, though. Blair uh, just has that get-after-it mentality. He takes almost as good of photos as I do. Okay. In the Scout Network, my photos are kind of known as being maybe the best. Would you co-sign that on that, player? Yeah, you you always set the benchmark. Uh, you are the bar, and I'm always trying to beat that anytime I take my camera out. So um, I know you taught me everything that I know from a photo standpoint, from a video standpoint, uh, social media, everything. So. Um, yeah, like I said, go GB. Don't stop, man. What about my watermarking skills? Those have really stepped up. Keep going with that, Blair. Yeah. Yeah, just rambling off the list. Uh, I mean, you check all the boxes. You know, if there was a six-star reporter, you'd get all safe. And this is all a running joke because I, I take photos with this thing right here. Yeah, and, and Blair's I got a full-on full on camera. And Blair does an awesome job from evaluating to, 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 to talking to players. But, hey, Blair, let's just jump right in. Tyler Shuck. Uh, I know he took that unofficial visit to Oregon. Was this all kind of an out of the blue thing? Did, were you did you see signs or hear rumors about him not being happy at UNC? What was the what was the attraction? How long has this been in the works? And then what is Oregon getting in Mr. Tyler Shuck? Yeah, you know what? He um, he actually took a visit out to UNC for the Duke game, uh, which is a game that the Cardinals lost. And after that trip, he, he said that he didn't really feel a, a part of that class. There's a lot of guys on the East Coast um, that that are, um, you know, obviously uh, closer to home, closer to to uh, that UNC campus. And uh, it was just difficult for him to really feel a part of that group. Now, obviously, um, he's going to be at Oregon uh, with, with a bunch of guys that are from the West Coast. It's going to be closer to home. Um, and, and he went out to practice on Wednesday last week and really got to see what the offense would look like uh, if he were to go there, and I think he settled that, you know, his, his talent and his frame, he's about 6'5", uh, close to 200, 190-ish right now. Um, he really translated well into what they're doing with Justin Herbert, who, who's about 6'6", uh, and, and it was a bit scrawny heading into Oregon as well, kind of kind of that same frame that, that Chuck is, is, is at right now. So. Um, you know, he saw, I think, uh, the potential for him to be there. Uh, Braxton uh, Bucks, uh, uh, Burmeister is obviously a freshman. So, uh, you know, once, once Herbert's gone after his junior year, it's going to be an open competition. And uh, from a competition standpoint, I, I don't think there's a school in the Pac-12 that's as attractive as, um, as Oregon is right now. Um, you know, he saw the academics, he saw the campus, he saw everything, and, and I think everything fit him to a tee. So he was really happy with 
of what he saw there. Um, not completely shocking given what North Carolina struggles have been, but um, you know, he, he was um, you know, I, I think surprised and totally surprised. Interesting you say that, Blair, because I remember Jack Sears took it. You know, he was a Duke commitment at one point and took a couple of visits back there. And one of the things he said was, you know, he just didn't really fit in with the whole East Coast vibe out there. Not so much the vibe, but just didn't really know the players as well. Just didn't, he felt comfortable, but it almost kind of seemed like, you know, back home is kind of where he felt even more comfortable. Is kind of a similar situation there with Tyler? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, he, uh, you know, just, just kind of looking at, um, you know, what he can do offensively. Uh, he's a very steady passer. He's a guy that uh, can stay in the pocket and face pressure and keep the guys downfield. Um, but what, what Oregon does, obviously we know, and what they're known for is, is that spread, that, that true spread offense. And he sees himself a pattern in athleticism to be able to roll out being able to uh, make throws on the run, being able to, uh, you know, extend plays with his legs. And those are all things I think that was a big plus for him. Um, no knock on North Carolina for him at all. I mean, he, he thanked all the coaches. He thanked them for, for believing in him. Um, you know, Michigan was involved as well. He's got ties there in the Midwest. Uh, Cal had offers uh, in, in the spring. Oregon offers last month. And I think seeing what, what the, the, re, the revitalized uh, nature of that program and what what they're doing there with Coach Taggart and, and Coach Arroyo and and that whole staff and the recruiting class that they're building right now. Uh, those are all things that just caught his eye, caught his attention, and and he has got family in the in the Eugene area in, in Oregon. So uh, all all those things for plus is a huge pickup for for the Ducks because they've been looking for a quarterback for a long time. Uh, obviously, there have been whispers about an, another Southern California based quarterback that we're looking at um but yeah I, I think you know it's one of those moves one of those flips that that makes sense on all fronts so let's jump over to Utah. Again, Utah flipped the pair of commitments to BYU, which, you know, obviously that's a hated, heated rivalry right there. So that stings if you're a Cougar fan. If you can, Jared Comp and Tavita Fotu, how did this all happen? And then again, kind of break those guys down for me. Yeah, those are teammates out in Harriman um, and Utah. Um, and I think it, it was a bit more surprising on the Tyler Chuck stuff because Jared Comp had been a long-time commit to BYU, uh, I think committed before the start of his junior year, so it's been well over a year that he's been committed to the Cougars. Um, and, and uh, you know, speaking to him recently, about a month ago, he had just visited UCLA, had just visited USC, uh, was on campuses for the opening weekend of college football season, uh, but he still considered himself a BYU commit. Well, it comes out after the fact that he had actually silently decommitted from BYU before the season so that he could uh, theoretically really give every school uh, a realistic opportunity uh, and maybe a fair shot at his at his verbal. So he gets out to Utah this weekend for the Stanford game, obviously a game that the youth lost. But, uh, you know, when we talk to these recruits, wins and losses never really mean anything uh, from a recruiting weekend standpoint. When you're out there and, and you're getting a feel for the program, uh, you're getting a feel for the school, and you're trying to figure out if, if that's a place that you can go. Um, those are all things that, you know, stuck out to him. He, he got a family vibe there, which is something he had been talking about BYU for a long time. Um, and the same thing goes for Tavita Fotu, uh, who obviously has a brother, uh, Lecky Fotu, who's, who's been at Utah. So those are two things, you know, two guys that, that were big victories because 
Uh, BYU and Utah, despite not being in the same conference, but they're obviously in the state. They're obviously rivals. They play every year, and that's a huge recruiting win for the Utes to be able to pull this off uh, this early in the season. You know, the, these battles usually go on until National Song Day. You know, the hats come out, and a kid has to choose between uh, the blue or the red. Uh, well, these guys are doing it in season. It probably doesn't help that BYU has been struggling as as as, as much as they have. Uh, losing losing games, you know, that Boise State and Utah State and, and really stumbling against some of the power programs that they played in LSU and uh, Wisconsin. So, and they obviously lost to Utah as well there in, in Provo. So, uh, two guys I think that, that are going to develop physically. Uh, Jaron Cup wants to take admission immediately after high school. I'm not completely sure on Potu, but those are, uh, you know, Potu's got two way potential. He can play tight end, he can play defensive end. Uh, he's a guy that is really physical at the, at the point of attack, uh, can get downfield, uh, you know, on either side of the ball, and just moves well for his size. Jaron Kump has the frame, uh, kind of a leaner body now, but he's gaining mass, and he's going to be a terrific tackle prospect in a couple of years when he gets back from his mission. So a uh, huge win for the youths to, to be able to do that. Hey, let's bring it down to SoCal. I know you talked to Julius Irvin, Servant right High School, tremendous two-way guy. Uh, he took a visit to Michigan over the weekend. You talked to him. Uh, gonna just put you in the spot right now, Blair. He's also been to Notre Dame and Washington. How do you think Michigan kind of measured up? And right now, if you had to pick a leader, who, who would be that leader at this time for Julius? Wow, putting him on the spot. This is really transparent right now. We want the transparent oh. truth from you, Blair. Give us the real, Blair. If, if I... If you had to tell me right now who to put some money on, or who to who who to you know who to choose, or who I think Julius Irvin could be signing with, um, I would have to go with the Washington Huskies. Ooh, I ooh, think ooh. They've they've really established that connection there. I know they've got a ton of depth at defensive back, they're both at corner and at safety, and, and we know Julius is probably the most versatile defensive back in Southern California, and they, you know with his ability to do both. Um, but I think Michigan really impressed him. Uh, you touched on it a little bit earlier, CP, that uh, you know these guys didn't have hosts, and that that's kind of rare. You, usually, you're set up for the host, and, and uh, he kind of teaches you around and, and shows you the place, and you get a feel for what it's like to actually be an athlete at a school. So they didn't get that, but I think it, it didn't really affect him. Uh, I mean, it looked like a monsoon there, and, and he had a great time. Told me. Uh, he, he really enjoyed the rain. You know, we're, we're kind of stuck in this bubble with uh, the, the sunshine and, and, you know, the cloudless skies and the occasional brush fire. Um, you know, shout out to Anaheim Hills, uh, my neck of the woods. But, um, and Julius from neck of the woods as well. Um, so, you know, it's, it, you know, I, I think Michigan really make this made an impression. I'm not really sure that they uh, are up to the level right now of, of a Notre Dame or Washington. I don't, I'm not sure they exceeded that that those visits they took previously um but it, he's, he's definitely going to be one to watch because it's going to be interesting what the other pac schools do uh usc and utah are, are probably going to get official visits uh he wants to decide after he takes all the trips and, and, and figures things out so um yeah it, you know, he, he's a guy i think right now that i would pick to washington just that's just a hunch that i have right now but i you know i'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure on that, and I'm not sure he's he's even settled on anything. Your crystal ball, crystal ball, and him to the UW right now, Blair. Let's see this. 
Woof. Woof. I, I should do it. I should do it. Hey, speaking of, we mentioned, you mentioned USC will get a visit from Julius, but Brandon Cajo, the BYU, it's like always comes back, keeps coming back to BYU here on the show, but Cajo visited USC unofficially over the weekend, tweeted out, he'll be back. Obviously, that means probably for an official visit. USC kind of a late offer for him, but obviously a lot of intrigue. Cajo, where's his recruitment at right now? And again, if you can, you know, let's fast forward to signing day, Blair, putting you on the spot, transparent truth. Who do you see signing Mr. Brandon Cajo? Yeah, he, he got an offer from USC a month ago, um, and he made it out to campus for the Oregon State game. Uh, they had a, a, actually a good group of out-of-state visitors, uh, including four four stars from the 2019 class out of the state of Utah. Um, Cajo's from Nevada, and you know, he's been taking visits. He was actually at the BYU game uh, on Friday when they lost to the Oregon State. He's been on campus quite a bit. Um, still considers a, a committed prospect to the Cougars, but uh, other schools are, are making a jump. Um, you know, USC, Washington, Alabama, Oregon, all those schools are being mentioned right now. Possibilities to, to earn official visits, he's yet to take any. Um, I would still think he's going to end up at BYU. That's going to be his final official visit. He's actually going to be playing at the U.S. Army all second bowl, and he's going to be playing also at the Polynesian Bowl. So those are two... Uh, places that he's going to be able to mingle and, and you know, kind of check out other recruits and see where maybe he would fit into a certain recruiting class. So those are two things I think you know, to really look for, those two events, because that's when they really start to gauge, all right, well, maybe if I do end up playing next to, say, a Raymond Scott or if I can play, uh, you know, with Cameron Lasso on, this, on, you know, on the edge at Alabama, those are all things that these kids look at. So those are two events that I would keep track of with him. Um, I know he hasn't taken any visits, but he plans to get out to some places. Uh, at BYU, I think, you know, it's tough because they've taken so many early commitments, and now it's all about trying to hang on, and, and other schools know where uh, and it kind of, you know, it, it creates a roadmap for them to be able to recruit against the other school, especially now that the Cougars are struggling a bit. But uh, I think he really enjoyed it at USC. Uh, you know, we're both or we're all three of us were, were here in Southern California that weekend, and it was, what, 100 or, or so degrees, 95 at least. Um, so that was a little different for him to come down and experience that, especially at a day game. Uh, but he told me he really liked it, likes Coach Hanson, um, doesn't quite know how he fits in at USC with that recruiting class, with the, uh, with the uh, linebackers that they have, and both, like I mentioned, Raymond Scott, Kanai Mauga, um, you know, Calvert, uh, and Palaia Gauteote, he's the number one uh, linebacker in the country. So uh, I think he's going to figure out what's going to happen there and, and how he fits in. Um, but those are all things uh, that I think he's going to be looking at. And he wants to see in a great shop to get, to get him back on campus. Last one for you, Blair. Panay Sewell stayed home, visited Utah. That was an, that was an official visit, correct? Yeah, that's official. So, Panay, you keep hearing Oregon, Alabama, does Utah, do they have a chance to kind of keep him home? Does he want to leave home? Ducks the tide? You know, how do you read this one? Yeah, I think I think Utah is definitely in the conversation now. I'm not sure I could have said that before the visit, uh, but he, he really enjoyed it uh, at, at, at Utah. He actually got to spend a lot of time with Garrett Bowles on the sidelines 
uh, before the game. Obviously, a first rounder in the NFL draft this past year, a uh, guy that was a five-star junior college player that went in there and played right away from day one at Utah and and, and developed into a first rounder. So uh, he got to kind of pick his brain and what it would be like to, to go there with the youth. And um, you know, just I, I think he. Uh, has always kind of set his sights on, on a, a school regardless of the location. But, uh, you know, his father told me that it doesn't really hurt the fact that it is within five distance. Now, they did fly to get up there for their official visit. You know, it's still a four and a half, five hour drive. Um, but the fact that it is, dry, you know, within driving distance, it's a good, good sign. They really like Coach Harding, uh, just like Darren Kump does. Uh, he's developed a ton of offensive linemen in recent years. Um, and, you know, I think. He, you mentioned Oregon. I, I think he really likes what they're building there. Uh, Alabama came on really strong in the summer. He was able to get out there. He's actually visiting at the end of the month when Alabama plays Tennessee. Uh, and then the final official, you know, can't really count out UCLA right now. Um, you know, the UCLA offensive line coach, uh, Coach Fraley, Hank Fraley, was out there last week for their game. Um, and UCLA has actually been the only school that has shown up on the sidelines uh, at a game this season. There's only two weeks left in the season, uh, in regular season out in Utah. So, um, yeah, you know, UCLA might be able to draw that fifth and final official visit. Right now, though, I would say they've got some ground to make up on the Oregon and about Alabama and Utah really jumped in there. So, He's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what, what he kind of decides. He's got two older brothers up in Nevada. Um, he already officially visited Nevada, which was, you know, surprising. You don't really get to see the pack ever draw a top 100 prospect. Um, and he's a younger brother. Um, so, you know, that's also, I think, a freshman and, and is going through the process and has some offers. And they, they've talked about wanting to play at the same college at the next level. So those are all things, I think, and, and he, really interesting recruitment. Um, and we'll be interested to see what he does. Blair just breaking it down like only you can do. My man, Blair Angulo, doing his thing. I appreciate you, Blair. No question. Thanks for coming Thanks, on. Guys, yeah, man. It. Let's talk soon, buddy. So that was recruiting notes. That was like an extended recruiting notes. Yeah, but it was good, though. You know, covered a, bunch of pro- yeah, covered a bunch of prospects, guys in Utah, Nevada. Sua, Brandon Cajo, my guy out there in Reno. Good group of players we talked about there. Let's get on to our top performers, Greg. I want to start off with the game that I went to. Okay. Jay Sarah Servite. How about Al Fisher, the underrated running back out of Jay Sarah. Really liked this kid going into the game. Watch this tape. Quick, strong, great vision, speed on the corner. He had 21 carries, 280 yards, Greg, and two touchdowns. He could have went for 400, Greg. He had 226 at halftime. He got hurt. But some other guys picked it up. Henning, uh, they also had a fullback who ran well, and a, and a, a RB3 had an 80-yard touchdown run. But 280 yards, two touchdowns on 21 carries from a man, Al Fisher, Jay Sarah. Also want to shout out Jake Parks, offensive tackle at Jay Sarah, Greg, six foot four. 295 pounds. He was a man up front in the trenches. He's the right tackle. He was blocking down all night on the power play, and he was destroying guys. Totally took a tooth by Servite Friars. Absolutely <laughs> dominate him up front in the trenches. So shout out to Jake Parks, right tackle, Jay Sarah, scholarship guy, no question about it, Greg. Get a chance, watch him. 
He had a big time. Yeah, game. We, we have Jake as a three star guard. He's yeah, got, he's got like 10 offers, but kind of smallish offers. I mean, do you think this is a Pac 12 level yeah, guy? No for sure. question. Okay. As a guard, he's not a tackle. So he's moving inside. He's kicking him inside. Yeah. But what, he's, 6'3, 6'4? 6'3, 6'4. Okay. He's big, he's physical, he's mean, he's nasty. He gets a great push and finishes guys to the ground. I like that. Yeah. So he's got that nasty temperament. Yep. Shoot, he's playing against a really good, I mean, a physical survey defense. They're always tough up front. Yeah, they were, they were a little undersized up front, though, and that's yeah. one thing that kind of worried me a little bit, a little undersized. But, uh, man, J.C.R. got after him. Go ahead. Let's go with the guy who, who I named as my as my Southern Section Player of the Week was Justin Flo. And we talked about this guy a ton, but just to watch, I watched the game, I think I watched it last night, the full game on replay, and it looked like an SEC linebacker. And I'm a West Coast guy, so it pains me to say that, but... He looks like a different breed of linebacker that you don't see out here very often. I mean, he had a, a key interception, which is, you know, great coverage, dive, makes a play. He has a scoop and score off a block punt, which we'll talk about, you know, when we do the game uh, reviews. Some of his tackles, he's just running through guys. I mean, he's just not just trying to tackle you. He's running through you. Everything about the guy was physical. He's intense. He's high motor for me. Uh, right now, it's early, 2020 class, but could be the top linebacker in the whole entire 2020 class. Talk about you guys in the South. He's, he's just Justin Flo can t- hang with anyone, right? I don't care if you're from Georgia, if you're from Florida, from Bama. Justin Flo is a dude. Nickname alert. You got one? I got a nickname alert. Are you, he already has one. You yeah, got one but you got a better one? Yeah, I know they got the baby man yeah. thing. He's been I, having that for a long time. I'm not time. a huge fan of that. I'm not either. The word baby should never be in a tough guy nickname. I got a I got a nickname alert. What do you got? The show. Justin Flo. Because this boy is headed to the show, Greg. Okay. He's big time. I like Last that. Last time I saw a kid look like that at linebacker was about from 95 to 97. Played at Lou Zinger, transferred to Sierra. Guy named Stop. Keith Miller. Stop. Stop hey, that. Listen, Justin Flo reminds me a lot of myself. Okay, he just went down a couple notches. That's who he reminds you of. Mm-mm. Very quick. Very instinctive. He's more athletic than I was when I played at that age. But explosive. Extremely physical. And just a man in the middle. Loved it. Justin Flo, I know he balled out and you spot shot him on, on, on Fox. Let's go to Venice High School, City Section. Bryce Tremaine, five touchdown catches, Greg. Checked out his tape, liked this kid. Okay. Six foot five, long and athletic. Moves better than he's kind of been given credit for by scouts across uh, the Western region. I think he's got a small time offer, but uh, I think this guy's going to be coming up on people's radar really, really soon. Tremendous catch radius. Gets vertical in the air. Go ahead, Greg. Let's stay in the city section. How about a kid who broke a city record? Torres High School. Yeah. Talking about Taekwon Gilmore, 451 yards rushing, eight touchdowns, also caught a touchdown. So the nine total touchdowns was a new city record. That was a 63-33 to win over an always really tough, formidable Franklin team who is known as maybe one of the top defensive teams in the state of California. So Gilmore didn't do this against just anybody. Tyquan Gilmore is breaking records against still curtain-type defenses. Nice job, Tyquan Gilmore. 30 yards per carry. Hey, man, he can get after that. No question about it. Let's go to modern day. They had a nice little matchup with Santa Margarita. C.J. Parks, six catches, 131, two touchdowns. Let's take it with Santa Margarita. Jake Ebock, he showed out as a receiver. They couldn't plaster them when the quarterback got outside the pocket. Six catches, 172. Played good football. Had a touchdown or two. Don't have it on my nose, but I remember seeing him score. How many yards did you say CJ had? 
CJ, six for 131 and two touchdowns. I saw eight for 164. I'm not sure if I saw that in Max Preps or for OC Register article. Okay. Either way, he had a good game. How about JT Daniels? Hopefully these stats are updated and correct. 24, 29? Yep. You got that? Yep. For 362? Six touchdowns. And six touchdowns? Yes. That's not bad. Amon Ross, same Brown. Stay with modern day. Six for 101 and two touchdowns. So offense is rolling. Flip to the opposite side of the ball. G-Dub. Darian Green-Warren with another pick. Should have took it to the house, though, G-Dub. Nickname alert, G-Dub for Darian Green-Warren. Nice job for the 2020. He didn't get caught from behind, did he? Don't tell me no, that. No, he, did, he didn't get caught from behind, but he didn't He didn't have the juice to get to the other end zone. Okay. You got to have that juice in the Come open Come on, Darian. G-Dub. By the, time, Dennis. by the time he's a senior... He's going to be in the end zone with a cup of coffee before anyone tackles him. No question. That's let's, the trajectory he's going. Let's go to Drake Jackson, Woo. the defensive end out of Corona Centennial. He's been okay. having a big time year, two and a half sacks. Did a nice job. Go ahead, Greg. How about Stan Centennial? How about a guy named Tanner McKee? He ain't bad. How about 286 through the air with three touchdowns? And how ridiculous is this? He ran for 209? Yeah. And one more touchdown? I'm not good at math, but that's almost 500 yards of total offense. And I doubt he played the fourth quarter. I wonder, I wonder if he even played much of the third. Tanner McKee can make an argument. I don't know where we have him rated, but he's if if Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields are one and two, I'm putting Tanner right behind those guys. And I don't even know if you have to put him behind him. Tanner McKee is as good as anybody in the country. You it's can unreal. mark it down uh, in my book right about now. Let's go to Bosco. DJ Uga Ana Lele. Uga Ana Lele. Three touchdown passes, helping to lead the, the Bosco Braves to a big victory over Orange Lutheran. So I was at that game, and the guy who probably jumped out to me the most was Cole Aubrey off that edge. And they don't play him every down. He's kind of more situational, but man, is he good off that edge. I mentioned again off air, Grant Wistrom type of motor and, and just uses his hands better than you see most defense. Really well-coached kid. Yeah. Takes coaching, obviously. But for young players to just it's such a it's such a uh, for me if you just play hard doesn't take skill for that if you just play hard with great effort with a great effort you're gonna make a lot of plays and and Cole just really quick off that edge three sacks and had one of the most vicious hits he got called for a rough in the passer and now I was about ten yards away that was not a rough in the passer penalty he just hit the guy so hard and the ref thought he needed to throw a flag because it was such a hard physical hit. I mean, it was right in the back, smack. Yeah. Reverberate the sound, just reverberate through the whole entire stadium. Cole Aubrey's a player. No question. I want to take it to Oxnard into the Ventura area. Vincent Walea, he's a quarterback, 14-19, 303 yards and four touchdowns. He did a nice job. He also got a running back that we're going to mention a little bit later in the show, Greg. But go okay. ahead. How about uh, a game you're at? Yeah, I want to know what you thought of TJ McMahon. He threw for 261 and two touchdowns, also rushed for 98. And one more touchdown. So three total touchdowns and uh, not, a, not a lot of all-purpose yards there. How did TJ look overall to you? TJ, he looked good. Uh, he looked really good in the first half. He ran the ball well. He's, he's, he's athletic. He's quick. Uh, got to the end zone from distance. And he threw, throws the ball really well. They kind of got after him a little bit in the second half. He kind of struggled, but uh, he did a nice job. Let's stay right there, though, Greg. Let's go with Julius Irvin. Got his first chance to play offense this season. Caught three balls for 170 and a touchdown. One was an 80-yard touchdown catch. He did a nice job. Is it my turn? Yep. 
How about Oaks Christian running back junior, Zach Charbonnet, one of my favorite running backs in the 2019 West Coast class. 15 carries for 202 yards. That's 13 yards a carry and three touchdowns. So 200-plus game for Mr. Zach Charbonnet. Charbonnet's really been lighting it up this year. He's going to get a nice little bump in those rankings. I believe that's coming. Yeah, he's a good player. How about Hagen Foreman out of Pacifica? We usually talk about their quarterback, Greg. Listen to Hagen Foreman. Three interceptions, two passes deflected. Had a big-time game. He's got five interceptions on the season. Nice job, Hagen. We see you balling. One of my favorite safeties, Danny Morales from Great Oak, got it done as a running back. 16 carries for 192 yards and two touchdowns and a Great Oak win over Chaparral. Also had 10-plus tackles from his safety position, which is where he's going to play in college. He's a really instinctive safety, but getting it done, running the football. Nice job, Danny. Repeat performer, quarterback Chase Peterson of Tesoro. Man, this guy's been on fire this year, Greg. I think we left him out of our awards show. And uh, maybe he's a little bit more deserving than we kind of anticipated. 376 yards, six touchdowns throwing, and one rushing. That's seven total touchdowns. I mean, Chase Peterson's been doing it every week, lighting up the scoreboard. Nice job over there at Tesoro, at Tesoro Chase. Good work. How about Santa Margarita quarterback, dual threat Josiah Norwood in a tough loss to Modern Day, but this guy got it done, earned a lot of respect. Again, I saw people from Modern Day talking about how good Josiah was. He was 15 to 24 for 271 and three touchdowns. So that's the first time anyone's done much against that Modern Day defense all year. Josiah Norwood, the quarterback, big game for him. Saw his highlights, Greg. He made a lot of plays on the move, and I thought that's one thing that could hurt a very, very aggressive defense is an athletic quarterback back there creating plays, um, extending plays. He, he, he broke some tackles, broke contain, got on the edge, made some throws down the field. Josiah Norwood, we said he, he needed to improve as a passer, be more productive as a passer. He did that last week. So nice job for him. Want to take it to back to Oxnard. We talked about this a little earlier. Running back Danny Smith, 13 carries, 159. This kid's a big-time player. We're going to talk about him more later in the show, Greg. But I really like him out of Oxnard High School, Danny Smith. No doubt my guy John Mack said before the season started, hey, watch out for this guy. And I didn't listen. I should have. You sent me the film, and the guy's got a lot of skills and tools for sure. A lot of physical upside. Yeah. How about speaking of running backs with some upside, Narbonne, running back Jamar Jefferson, a nice game, 131 yards and three touchdowns and a big 48-13 win over Carson. There's no handshake after that game. Not a whole lot of sportsmanship this past weekend, Coach. Kind of grieved me just a little bit. Well, you know, Narvaan put up a big old billboard billboard right on Carson Street talking about how they're the king and how they've been kicking Carson's butt. So I, I, don't, I don't know if I want to shake their hands either, Greg. They're kind of rubbing it in our I think, face. I think you would have shaken their hand, Coach. I think you're a good sport. No, I, I may you're... have spit in my hand and then <laughs> shaken their hand, but I don't think I would have just done it outright. Who you got? You know what? Uh, I want to take it to San Diego, Greg. Okay. My guy, Brad Jeremiah, he's had a huge year. He's got 38 touchdown passes already, Greg. He threw for 359 and eight more touchdowns at Christians High School. He's been lighting it up. Hearing from some smaller schools. Um, really like him as a quarterback, though. Big-time leader with, with a great GPA. I like that GPA, man. That's, that's huge. Kids need to be more aware of that. How about staying with this kind of a small school theme, theme, Santa Inez, which has been known over the years as a big-time volleyball school, but they had a quarterback, Dusty Gregg, with two Gs at the end of that name. I just have one, but he had two. Yeah. Parents stuttered a little bit. Gregg, Dusty. Yeah. Dusty Gregg went off 17 of 20 
for 356 and seven touchdowns. Nice job by Dusty Greg Sanchez, quarterback. Yeah, where's the defense there? We'll take it back to San Diego. Got a couple guys here. We got Isaiah Wooden out of Helix. He had two 60-yard punt returns for touchdowns and a touchdown catch. So it was three touchdowns for him. Malachi Russell at El Camino, 11 catches, 239 receiving yards. Daryl Zayde out of La Costa Canyon had three sacks. My man Jaden Casey, the quarterback at El Camino, had 363 yards passing. Jason Henney out of Torrey Pines had 120 yards passing and a touchdown and rushed for 176 yards. Quarterback Miles Hastings out of San Marcos, 366 yards passing and a touchdown. My man, or our guy, wide receiver Kyle Phillips went off, Greg. Nine catches for 230 yards for San Marcos High School. Kyle Phillips, he's been bonzo this year doing his fizzle. I see you, Kyle. Eastlake quarterback Daniel Amon, four touchdown passes, 51, 29, 33, and 25 yards. Running back Marty Sesma out of Sweetwater, 26 carries, listen to this, 332 yards, three touchdowns. One of the best stories of the weekend, Greg, listen to this. Angelo Peraza, he's a 5'7", 130-pound quarterback, QB2, starts on the JV team. He was called up to duty because the varsity starter got hurt. All he did was complete 13 of 18 passes for 212 yards and four touchdowns for St. Augustine. He's a 10th grader. Nice. Coming off the bench, did you Wally Pip him? <laughs> Coming off the QB1. bench. QB1. I don't know if he QB, I don't know if he Wally Pip QB1, but I want to give a big shout out to Angelo Peraza. Again, a 5 foot 7, 130 pound quarterback coming off the bench to light it up for four touchdowns and over 200 yards. That's why you love high school football. Oh, man. Right there. Get that guy some stars. Yeah. Running back. You can't measure my heart. I keep hearing that. Size doesn't matter. <laughs> Drew Brees is only 5'11". Running back. Keenan Christian. 19 carries. 155 yards and three touchdowns. He's a big-time back. Special out of Madison High School. Running back Keontae Springs. Six carries. 132 also for Madison High School. They got a kind of a, 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 a two-headed running back monster that's been lighting people up. And lastly but not least in San Diego, Kevon Martin out of Granite Hills, 21 carries, 188 yards, and two touchdowns. Greg, you're up. Hey, let's go to Roosevelt. They t- took it on the chin from Centennial, but they did, offensively, they did do some things. They scored 33 points against Centennial. Talking about quarterback, one of my, one of my favorite quarterbacks this year, Jeremy Musa. Just, yeah. I love the mechanics and the, the way he throws the football. He was 18-35 for 332 and three touchdowns. So Jeremy's having a nice year. His wide receiver, Braden Huffman-Dixon, had a big game. Seven catches, 176, and two touchdowns. And how about this? D-tackle, Kerry Sanders. Looked him up. He's about 5'11", 270. A D-tackle, yeah. 20 tackles wow. from his nose guard position. That's effort, Greg. That's huge effort. That's effort. And that's, I mean, that's obviously Centennial was that zone read. So he's, man, he wasn't fooled at all by the running back coming through or even Tanner coming through. Nice job, Kerry Sanders. 20 tackles from a nose guard is unheard of. Yeah, no question. You got more SoCal guys? I got a few. Go wanna... with it. Knock them out. How about Aquinas? Used this guy before. Repeat performer Brandon Rankins with a bad hammy. Still went for 182 and two touchdowns, including on the first play of the game. He went 78 yards to the house. How about Marquis Spiker? Big game, big rivalry win over Vista Murrieta. He had four catches, 84 yards and two touchdowns, plus a 95-yard kickoff return for a touchdown that kind of sealed the deal in that one. How about Bonita High School quarterback J.P. Andrade? 33 of 45, 406, and four touchdowns in a 42-13 to 
39 win over Diamond Bar. It's a great game right there for Mr. J.P. Andrade. Back to you. We'll take it to Arizona. Running back Drayson Hall out of Higley. 10 carries, 201 yards, and 5 touchdowns. We'll stay in Arizona. Linebacker Dante Coleman out of Queen Creek. He forced two fumbles, one in the fourth quarter to help get a win. Quarterback Ryan Bendel from Liberty. He completed six balls, Greg. Five of them went for touchdowns. That's a nice job by Ryan Bendel at Liberty High School. And then Connor Phelan, 24 for 26. He's a quarterback. 426 yards and three touchdowns. That's all I got from Arizona. I got one guy from Utah, repeat performer, Elite 11 quarterback, Washington State commit Cam Cooper goes 25 of 37 for 407 and six touchdowns. It's like Cam throws for five or six tubs almost every single game. Nice job, Cam. Yeah. Wazoo. Yeah, nobody's stopping that guy out there. Ain't no doubt about it. Let's go to Nevada. I got one guy, wide receiver, Marquez Powell, Liberty High School, 20 receptions, 310 yards, and two touchdowns. That's a huge game. Huge. Shout out to Marquez Powell. I'm going to take it to Hawaii really quickly. Jordan Botello, he's a Saint, he's the linebacker at St. Louis High School. He had three sacks. Wide receiver Titus Mokai Atimala from Kapoli High School. Ten catches, 124 yards, and a tub. Nice job, Titus. Titus. Is that it? Are we done? That was... That was... I was going to say short and sweet, but it's never short and sweet. Never that short and sweet. It was we're, efficient. We're, yeah, we're, we're kind of cutting out Texas. Yeah. We're moving away from Texas. We're going to keep it West Coast. Okay. I do have one guy out of Washington, though. A tight end, Jarrell Anderson out of Rainer Beach. Seven catches, 134, two touchdowns. Had two sacks and a forced fumble. Did a nice job. So shout out to my guy, Jarrell Anderson at Rainer Beach. That is a perfect segue. Because you finished up with Washington. Yep. Now we're going to start talking about some of the game reviews that we saw last week. And we got a guy who we're going to try to get on the phone in a few minutes here out of Washington, the state of Washington, who goes by the name of Brandon Huffman. Um, Brandon is the guru. He's the real goat. No, no, no. He's the Absolutely. guru. You're the go- guru Huffman, goat biggins. <laughs> I like it. So when Brandon comes on, he was at a game last week, and he saw a couple great matchups. He saw, I love head-to-head matchups. I love game within the games. He was able to see Savelle Smalls, who could be the top player in the nation in the 2020 class, take on Nathan Kalepo, a big-time OL prospect, committed to Washington, head-to-head. I love to hear about that. He saw G. Scott, a big-time 6'3 receiver, who can do some things, too. I want to hear what he has to say about that and a few other things as well. So uh, right now we're kind of waiting to get on Mr. Brandon Huffman. So while we're waiting, should we just move on to our first game out of SoCal? Yeah, let's do that. So this game matched up a couple of four and two teams, Oaks Christian and Newberry Park. I thought it might be competitive. Newberry Park is a little bit banged up, a little bit injured right now. But Oaks Christian just hammered them 48 to 0. I think that was Coach Bankert's 250th career win, so congrats to Coach Bankert. Yep. But this game was over early. The only thing that went wrong for Oaks in this game was, unfortunately, I mentioned before, Bo Calvert with a broken leg. But man, Zach Turbin, as we mentioned, 202 yards, came on Thibodeau, came up big, seven tackles, four for loss, three sacks in that one, so came uh, playing well. But Newburgh Park is kind of limping in. Uh, to the season right now. They've had a couple, you know, recent losses. I think that's their third now in the, over the last four games for Newberry Park. Oaks Christian, uh, a huge win for them. Again, a game I thought we'd be close. Never yeah. never was. Yeah, you know, that was interesting, Greg, because, like you said, going in, we thought it was maybe not an evenly matched game, but we thought quarterback, Cam Rising, and 
their weapons that they have up over there, that they'd be able to compete. But this was a woodshed beating right here that Oaks Christian put on Newberry Park. Charbonnet went off. Kayvon Thibodeau was a terror on the edge. We know Bo Calvert went out with a broken leg. I hope the speedy recovery for him. But Oaks Christian, man, they've been a little bit of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde for me. They were definitely uh, they're definitely on their stuff this past game. So shout out to those Oaks Christian Lions getting the job done. What else we got, GB? Yeah, they got they got some uh, they got some guys at Oaks. They got some you know Bryce Farrell. Uh, yeah. You know wasn't really involved in the offense. Didn't throw up. Didn't throw it too much. They didn't need to. It was mostly yeah. a, a Charbonnet ground and pound game. Uh, but big game for Josh Calvert. And and again, they they got they got dudes at Oaks. I think they're gonna have, they got a chance to make some noise as we kind of go into the season. Yeah, sure. So do we have our guy B Huff? Are you on? I'm here. What's yes. Up, What's up, B Huff? The guru, the goat, the best, the greatest. Hey, Buff, let's just jump right in. I know you were at a couple games this past weekend, but the one I'm really intrigued by was that one-on-one game within the game. You are able to see Mr. Kleppo against Mr. Smalls go head-to-head, correct? I was, yeah. That was definitely the, the, the highlight of the game because the game itself wasn't all that great, but a very intriguing matchup and you know one that uh, was pretty one-sided in terms of the matchup between the two. Uh, Savelle Smalls definitely got the better hand in that matchup, Kalepo got the win, which I think he'll take every day of the week. Uh, but, it, you know, it was one of those games where it brought out Washington's offensive line coach, Scott Huff, since Kalepo was a commit there, plus defense coordinator Pete Krakowski, who was there to watch small. So, you know, you got a chance to, to kind of see why both those guys are so heavily coveted. And, you know, right now, I mean, Keith, Greg, you guys have been big Savelle Small fans for a while. I've been since eighth grade, literally. Uh, but <laughs> that, that that was a, a, a good matchup. I think it, it get, kind of gets Kalepo something to, to work towards, but also showing just what kind of a high-impact player Savelle Smalls already is. So what did, what did Smalls do so good? I mean, Kalepo's obviously a big-time guy, all the offers, going to UW. It, it sounds like, not trying to read into it, but it sounds like Smalls just kind of had his way. What, what was what was Smalls doing that was so effective? And, and I mean, did Kalepo even get a glove on him? He did. You know, it was interesting, and I don't know that this had much to do with it because it was just a matter of quickness. Early in the game, and in fact, right before the game, in pregame warm-ups, Kalepo kind of dislocated his finger. And so right before the game, you can see the coaches and the trainers on the sidelines working to get his thumb back in. Uh, and so, you know, that was something that kind of kept him, that was a slow start for him. But whether he was at full strength, his hand was completely fine. It was a matter of just the quickness off the edge of Savelle Smalls has him. He's he has such a quick first step. He's so dynamic. He does such a great job of shedding his block instantly. And, and you know, he, he can make a move. He's got swim moves. He can bull rush. He can do kind of a variety of moves. And just that quickness was really what Kalepo was scuffing a bit. Now, you know, Kalepo will be the first one to tell you that, you know, he's continuing to, to work on that athleticism. He's still a little bit more of a waistbender than a knee bender. He's got to work on that flexibility. He's got the size. So, you know, on a couple of times when he did get the upper hand on Savelle Smalls, it was because he had the size and the strength to really uh, to, to really make that matchup his. But in terms of just this kind of the, the quickness that Savelle Smalls had, Kalepo really had an answer for that. And there was times where he would get double teamed, he get picked up by a fullback, he get picked up by a tight end, and Smalls would shed, Smalls would shed his block. Probably one of the most imp- uh, impressive plays of the game was you know, Kalepo had him at first, and then he had a double team from the fullback. 
Small spun out of that, turns around, runs downfield, and just drills the quarterback, Max Small, forces a fumble. And, you know, it was one of those where you just see how quick he's able to get off that block and get to the quarterback in pursuit. And it really was a frustrating night for him because he really did his part. But eventually, Lanier Beach figured out, got to get away from him. Let's start rolling out to the other side of the field to get away from him, get that, get rid of that ball. There was a couple of big plays where it really was. Smalls was bearing down on Max Small and ready to deliver that hit coming from the backside. But he got out just in time. And then there really wasn't any answer in the back seven forward Garfield, which is what allowed Rainier Beach to win that game. But uh, you, you walk away and you could certainly say Smalls is everything that he's cracked up to be as a prospect. And he's still got two and a half more years to watch him develop as a player. That's crazy. I think the thing that surprises me here in just the reports, when I saw I, I saw Smalls at a 7-on-7, seven seven, he's, he's a big, pretty thick kid. I just, I, I, it's surprising how he's just that dynamic as an explosive athlete, just how sudden he plays. Yeah, and, and I think what's the most impressive about him is that you know, he still has that strength to his game. It's not like he's just a, you know, like a Keyshawn Lucier South type of guy where he's more of a smaller, explosive guy, but then he doesn't necessarily have the strength to get off the blocks. What really I think is going to separate him from somebody else, some of the other guys in this class is that ability where, you know, he's 235, 240-ish right now. He'll probably play his junior year at about 250, senior year at about 260, 265, but he's already got kind of grown man strength, and yet he's still a young sophomore. It's not like he's an 18-year-old sophomore. He's a 15-year-old sophomore, so he's still got the opportunity to get bigger, but he's already got that that quickness off the edge, that that suddenness, if you will, and just a real high football IQ. He doesn't fall for play action. He doesn't fall uh, for a lot of ball fakes. I mean, he bears down on the quarterback. He bears down on the ball carrier. He's quick enough to get back upfield and end plays, you know, when, when the running back does get through the hole. And I think that's what you really want to see in a big-time player is that, you know, a lot of times you'll see pass rushers that if they're taken out of the play, they're done. They're not going back and they're, they're not ending the play. That's not at all something that he struggles with at all. If he's taken out of the play at the initial point of attack, after when he's trying to get to the quarterback, he'll roll off, get downfield, and make a tackle. And you really can see just why he's so pursued so heavily by the big-time national programs because there are so many tools there right now, and yet he's still not even anywhere close to being where he's going to be physically in three years. Hey, Huff, you all, did you see G. Scott this past weekend as well? I didn't. I saw him two times earlier in the year, um, and both times that I, I got to see him, you know, it was games that Eastside Catholic won, games where he really, especially the first game of the season, he took over in overtime to help them get their toughest win of the year, and you just need you know, getting a chance to see him. He'll be in contention with Smalls for the top overall prospect in the state of Washington. Smalls right now is that guy, but G. Scott is probably the top offensive player in the state in that 2020 class. What do you what do you like about him? I know last week Keith kind of had a, a unique comparison. I think you said was it you compared him to Peter Wark? Peter Wark, which yeah. is you know, G six three Wark was like a five ten five eleven more of a scat receiver. I, I thought, but who do, who would you compare G Scott to? Just from the frame, the six three frame, kind of the you know a little more of a long strider. Who 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 do you kind of like him to? You know, it would be another another Florida State receiver is kind of who I compare him to. A bigger Anquan Bolden. It's kind of that physical guy who's going to, you know, never really be the suit. Now, Bolden has some explosiveness to him, but he was a guy that, you know, you were going to have a hard time jamming at the line of scrimmage. You don't try to go 
press against him because he was so physical he would just throw corners off of him. And what I liked about G is that you know he doesn't have elite top-end speed, but he does get separation, but he's got impressive body control. He'll go up and get the ball. He's, you know, he's tough in traffic. He'll make that catch, double, triple team if he needs to be. Uh, you know, they actually suffered the loss of their starting quarterback, Zach Lewis, he broke his foot on Saturday, or on Friday night uh, in their win over O'Day. So they have a younger guy coming in up until the point where Zach Lewis got hurt. And G. Scott had over 100 yards in that first half. And it was because when, he, they, when they would find him open, he would get that separation. He would sneak behind that O'Day secondary. But it was more, you know, he could take that five-yard pass break a few tackles, and it's that yards after that initial contact, yards after that catch where he's got guys bouncing off because of how big and physical he really is. Now, if he can continue to develop some speed over the next two and a half years, he's got the makings of being a big-time receiver prospect because he's already on that track. But you're never going to look at him and say, hey, this is a guy that's you know, all about – he's not John Ross. You know, you're not going to compare him to a John Ross type where he's just going to be all about that speed and explosiveness. So I, I would say Anquan Bolden – maybe a Larry Fitzgerald type of guy where they're fast enough, but it's just about their body control, their hands, their, their route running, their, their physical ability to make every catch in traffic, go over DBs and kind of that, that burst that they need to go up and get that ball and end some plays in the end zone. Huff, settle a debate for us. How tall do you think G. Scott is? Keith says he's yeah. like 5'2". No, no. no. When, so when Keith I says met G. Scott, I, I met G. Scott this past offseason. The guy was about 6 feet, maybe 6'1". Six, maybe six and now I'm hearing 6'3". It's either this guy had a growth spurt or I was look, I talked to the wrong G. Scott. So There's two of them. Clint was dad. G. Scott Sr. Because little G, baby G, as he's known, is definitely taller than his dad. You know, I Every year in my physical, I get measured, and I'm six foot one. And I mainly I get measured just so that when guys are telling me that they're six two when they're five eight, I can tell that they're not telling the truth. G is legit six two and a half, maybe six three, six four and a half if he uh, when he's got his dreads all the way out. Uh, but he he's legit six two and a half, six three ish. And, you know, still another one of those guys that's a little bit, uh, he's not reached his physical peak yet. And so he could have also been talking to his younger brother, who's definitely the smaller of the two, looks a lot like Baby G. But, no, he, he's definitely at minimum 6'2 and a half, but I think he's closer to 6'3 now. What's his younger brother's name, G, also? No, it's... Uh, G3? C, C. Scott. H. Baby Scott. G. Baby, dude, I love that. Hey, Huff, while, while we got you... I gotta ask you. I gotta get a couple of recruiting updates for you. you Talk to Jeremiah Martin. We're all a big fan of his on the show. Cajon defensive end. He took a visit to Texas A&M, and the Aggies have been trying like heck to get a guy from SoCal the last few years. Do they have a legitimate shot? And who else do you think has a shot at Jeremiah Martin right now? I think they absolutely have a shot at him. You know, obviously one of the big things for Jeremiah Martin was the fact that when Kevin Sumlin took in his first high school game of the season, the timing worked out. It was when Texas A&M was out in Southern California. For their season opener against UCLA on that Friday night, and you, you think about all the guys that A&M has offered in Southern California the last couple of years since someone's been there, since Jeff Banks has been there, and all the guys that they have offers out to in the 2017 or 2018 class, Jeremiah Martin's who they went out to go watch on that Friday night, and he had a big game in the season opener, so obviously you could see that Sunling has him as a priority national recruit, and then he goes on and puts that performance on, and you could tell that Texas A&M it would love to have a guy come in and do that because they've had some very good pass rushers these last couple of years. Von Miller, who was actually in College Station this weekend since the Broncos had a bye. I didn't ask Jeremiah if he got a chance to talk to him, but I'm sure there was a, a moment where those two crossed paths 
on the field to Kyle Fields. And then obviously Miles Garrett last year was the number one pick in the draft. So if you're a defensive end and you've got one of the premier pass rushers in the NFL being Von Miller and the number one overall pick being Miles Garrett, and they're both A&M alums, they're both defensive ends from that school, that's going to weigh heavily with these kids because they are looking at where am I going to be developed? Where am I going to have a chance to be turned into a big-time prospect for the NFL? And I think A&M picked a great weekend to have Martin in town with Miller there, a game where their defense actually stood up pretty admirably to Alabama. But what he raved about was the atmosphere there. He said that the atmosphere was what stood out to him more than anything he said it was, you know, the official visit was for sure one for him to remember. Uh, you know, he said the education was something that really uh, got his attention too. But I think he said just that the, the, being in Kyle Field for that game, as you can imagine the atmosphere when the number one team in the country is coming in, it probably escalates even more. But I think A&M made a major impression on Jeremiah Martin. The hard part for them is going to be this was his first official visit. So there's going to be a time where he's going to get further and further away from that trip, we'll have a chance to, to visit Oklahoma. That was one of his newest offers, but he's saying right now that there's a good chance they get an official visit. Um, Utah is another to get an official visit. Washington offered him. He's uncertain if he's going to visit Washington. And then obviously the two Los Angeles schools, UCLA and USC, are sticking out to him. But I think A&M did about as good as they possibly could on this trip. Now they just got to weather the storm of the other four official visits and getting further and further away from that trip. Great stuff, Huff. As always, I appreciate you breaking it down like no one else can. Hey, anytime, guys. All right, man. Be appreciate good. you. Thanks, See you guys. Yep. So we left off. Want to jump right back in here? Thank you, Huff, for that. Uh, we got Westlake and Calabasas. I said this was my a potential trap game for Calabasas. I said maybe a letdown game for Calabasas. They just come off a huge emotional win over, over a really good Valencia team. Sure. Westlake just lost their first game of the year the week before. They came in mean and angry. And lost 52 to 14. No trap game, no emotional letdown at all. Calabasas is very much legit right now, aren't they? Yeah, I mean they got they got big time players and they got a couple special players, and uh, they're a tough matchup, especially offensively for anybody. I don't care who you are. They got playmakers that with the ball in their hands they can get freaky, and then they got a trigger man that can get the ball out on time and on target. It's a nice job by Calabasas. Jaden Casey, he got Doc Holliday. I mean, he's got that quick release. And yeah. if you're a big tombstone fan like I am, I love Doc Holliday in that movie. That's who Jaden Casey kind of reminds me of. 15 to 22 for 200 yards, two touchdowns. Not not real gaudy numbers. They didn't they didn't throw the ball over the yard. They had more of a it was more of a ground and controlled game. A, a sophomore running back. It's like every every week we see a new running back kind of emerge for Calabasas. But Kalen Wesley, just a sophomore, he had 20 carries for 125 and a touchdown. Keith and Gooden had two touchdowns as well. Uh, defense obviously played really well, shut that Westlake team down, which had been really good all season long. So 52 to 14, big win for Calabasas. To go from a high scoring game to a low scoring game, Sarah High School, your alma mater, took out Loyola 13 to 10 in a nice little defensive struggle there. Not struggle, a defensive game uh, where both sides were really getting after it. Merlin Robinson had a huge game, 12 tackles and a sack. Doug Brumfield, again, very efficient. No turnovers, 13 of 20 for 174 yards. Uh, again, close throughout, 13 to 10. But it made, what saying goes, good teams find a way to win close games. Bad sure. teams find a way to lose to lose close games. So, Sarah, you know, they're 500 now for the first time all year. That 3-3 three and three 
and they've been competitive in every game. We've said, you know, they shoulda, woulda, coulda. Right. But they literally coulda, shoulda, woulda, you know, won just about every game. Even Shamanad was in control of that, I, I thought. Yeah. But Sarah was right there. Showed a lot of grit, a lot of heart, and, and they had a nice win this week against a, a pretty tough Loyola team. Yeah, I mean, they should be 5-1. and one. I'm not going to give them the shot that Shamanad win. No. Like you said, Shamanad was in control. Uh, but they should be 5-1. and one. They're setting themselves up for a nice little run in league play and uh, should get to the playoffs. They're going to get a, a tough matchup in that first round. But if you're Sarah, you got to like where you are. Ascending, defense playing well. Got to continue to work on that offense. Doug Brimfield, like you said, efficient with the football. Protecting the ball, no turnovers. Got to get those weapons on the outside. Got to get them to rock and let them do work for you. But Centennial took out Roosevelt. Uh, I mentioned that one earlier. Uh, it was 56 to 14 at the half. Centennial is just so good offensively, and to say they're machine-like would be just kind of understating it. It's I've never seen a team that just scores as easily as they do, as quickly as they do. I mean, they score in so many different ways, whether it be Tanner throwing it or running it. They got both running backs this past weekend. Uh, three touchdowns for Thomas Kinslow, two for Octavio Cartez. Nice game for Gary Bryant. Five catches for 149 and one touchdown. You mentioned Drake Jackson earlier with the two and a half sacks and Tanner McKee's stats from this past weekend were just off the charts, but give up 30-some points. Yeah. Um, some of those were, a lot of those were in garbage time, you know, third and fourth quarters. The first team defense looked like, like they played pretty well. Again, Roosevelt's got a good offense, a lot of skill, and they held them to 14 at the half. Uh, but Centennial right now, I know we, Everyone wants to talk about St. John Bosco and modern day, but I guarantee you Centennial can play with those guys. Oh, and there's no question. Those two teams, as good as they are, they do not want to see Centennial in a semifinal game. Whoever gets that matchup, Greg, they're, they're going to be sick. They're That's why be... this game is so big this weekend. Whoever loses this game is, is, gonna is play playing Centennial in the semifinal. So. If, if all those teams make it that far. But two things about that game, Greg. Number one, I pick I picked the score 77-7. to what was the end of the score? 77-33? Something like that. So I wasn't far you, you off got the, there. You got the points for Centennial, right? Um, and then the second thing, when we did our Centennial episode earlier in the year, Greg, preseason, our producer, he coined the show Appetite for Destruction. And I always loved that, that title for that school, that team, that program. I mean, they've got an appetite to just absolutely murder folks. On the football field, I love how they get after people, and they put the hammer down this past week. Centennial, they're going to be a problem, Greg. Ain't they absolutely no doubt. will. Absolutely will. Modern Day took down Santa Margarita. I uh, talked about that a little bit earlier. Um, Jacoby Harper, nine carries, 129 yards and a touchdown. Chris Street, four carries, 92 yards and two touchdowns. Modern Day this year has a much improved running game from a year ago. They have that great offensive line, man. Let those guys run block some, and they, they definitely have been. Santa Margarita, they, they hung tough. Josiah Norwood, we already mentioned him. He put up big numbers. Chad Mygar had 14 carries for 90 yards and two touchdowns, a new UNLV commitment. So for a while, Santa Margarita was able to score with them, and it was just like an avalanche. And then Margarita's yeah. offense kind of took over, and, and they really shut down Santa Margarita in the second half. Only gave up a touchdown the whole second half, yeah. and that offense kind of just kind of put it in, into cruise control. So uh, respectable for the Eagles. Uh, kind of coming into the year, I thought that might be the sixth t- training league team, but you know they still might be. But yeah. they're a competitive team for sure, and, and those games they play against everybody else, other than probably Modern Day and Bosco, are going to be very, very good, very competitive games. Yeah, love the effort the Eagles showed. I think it came down to talent and depth in the second half. Uh, Modern Day's depth probably wore them down. 
San Marcos Breed that couldn't keep pace um, for the duration. But, you know, hats off to the Eagles. They came out, they competed, Norwood, Ebok. Um, guys look good, they made plays. But as we know, modern day, they're loaded. And they're not just loaded, they're they're deep. And they come in with waves of talent. And uh, they're, they're tough to deal with for 48 minutes. It's time for our Sit and Sleep Sleeper of the Week. Really want to thank our guy, Larry Miller. He's allowing us to showcase unknown prospects that need to be brought to the spotlight. Larry is all about family and community, and his support is helping to change the lives of young players across the country. Each week, young men are getting scholarship offers after being featured on this show. So thank you, Larry. When we have business and a man that is really interested in the community, we need to show our support right back at him. Sit and Sleep is the only place that offers advanced sleep technology. Greg? Body diagnostics. That's five-star stuff. This is high-quality stuff. Lay down on a mattress, and within seconds, thousands of sensors can help you find the absolute right mattress for you. Wow, within seconds? Seconds. Man, that's awesome. Sit and Sleep. They'll beat anyone's advertised price, or your mattress is free. Appreciate you, Larry Miller. Thank you, Larry. How about this one? This one had to hurt your heart a little bit. You're at this game. That was Servite taken, taken down uh, by Jay Sarah, 52 to 36. I know you had predicted a 35 to 27 Servite win. Yeah. So you knew it was going to be a close game. You were there. Yeah. Give me your thoughts. Jay Sarah better than you expected. Servite defense kind of have some more holes than than anticipated. It was it was a matchup. It was it was the matchup, Greg. You had an undersized front six for Servite going against a physical run game. And once Jay Sarah realized that Servite couldn't stop their physical run game, man, they ran it downhill all day. They ran Power G behind Jake Parks all night long. It didn't matter who got the ball. I know Fisher was the beneficiary uh, in the first half at least, but they had RB2. RB3, the fullback, everybody ate. Mm. Greg, everybody eats at Jay Sarah in the backfield versus Servite coming downhill. Matt Robinson looked very good, protected the ball, efficient passer. Let me tell you, their weapons are big time. McLean brothers can go. There's no doubt about it. Tariq Luckett was a star on the outside going up and attacking the football. Shimamura. The slot guy and also punt returner, he made plays, caught a big touchdown pass on the on the skinny in the back of the end zone. I mean, they, they got some talent. There ain't no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, Servite, they played well offensively, especially in the first kind of three quarters. McMahon, he was running and throwing. Um, Hernandez, I believe his name is, a running back, he got hurt. Julius Irvin was big time. Delon Hurt caught a touchdown pass in the second half. They just couldn't keep pace. They could not stop Jay Sarah's power G, and they were in levels two and three all night long, man. Yeah, I mean, so like Jay Sarah's coaching staff did a great job being smart. I mean, Matt Robinson, look at the numbers, only threw 14 attempts, had only 14 yeah. attempts. Some OCs, you see them wanting to be too cute, and look, we got to throw the ball. Why? If the run game is going, just keep, don't outsmart yourself, right? Yeah. Matt Robinson, like you mentioned, really efficient, nine of 14. Yeah. Only 92 yards. You know, Meneer McLean's only about 75% right now health-wise, and they're still rolling. Imagine when they get him back yeah. going. You mentioned you love Malik on the other side of the ball. So, Jay Sarah, you know, for me, 
number five now. Moved him up to number five in the uh, in the southern section behind just the big three in Mission View at number four. So Jay Sarah plays Orange Lou. We'll talk about that one for the Friday show, but that's probably one of the key games that's not getting talked about at all. Uh, let's move ahead. Really quickly, Greg, yeah, yeah, before yeah, we sorry. move ahead. No, keep going. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Jay Sarah linebacker T.J. Medina. Took a look at his tape before the game. I was impressed. I thought he would get fatigued versus a no huddle, hurry up spread it because he also plays fullback. Greg, he was lights out in the second half. He made big time hits, ran sideline to sideline, played with tremendous intensity. TJ Medina and then Malik McClain was dominant on the edge. He was in the backfield all day, chasing TJ McMahon. He had a couple sacks. He was excellent. Munir, Munir McClain will be a big-time four-star receiver next year. There's no question about it. No, for sure. He's got a ton of talent. Go ahead. No doubt. No doubt. So we got two more games to go. Rancho Cucamonga uh, took down Upland 30-23. That was the game of the week on Fox. I watched it last night. Kind of an ugly game. I think both sides would even say uh, 28 penalties. Real chippy game, which is, I guess, not weird because these guys know each other. But it was... Uh, I know a lot of those guys know each other and are, are friends. So you'd think it'd be a highly aggressive game. This is like a Florida State-Miami game where there was like almost after every play, there was some extracurricular stuff, some weird – I don't know if you get to see any of it or see some highlights of it at all. or. Yeah, I recorded it. I haven't watched it. I did get a chance to see the highlights. We know the show was – he put on a show, right? Yeah, Justin yeah. Flo put on a show. Um, I know Jeremiah Cradell caught a couple touchdowns. We know he's a, he's a bit of a problem on the outside, but – Gonna get a chance to go back and watch that. Watch the game. Watch yeah. the game. And and again, some of these penalties were just I'm not sure they needed to be thrown. Flags need, I mean it's fifteen yards. That's a lot it's significant. Pu- pushing, shoving. You know, it's not a guy grabbing a face mask or punching a kid. Punch, right. If it's just the usual, you know, scrapping underneath, right. kind of let it go. It just there was no flow, no, you know, yeah. no pun intended, because Justin Flo was the guy. But yeah. there was no flow in the game when there was penalties after every single. You couldn't really touch the receivers too much. There was a they called a defensive pi in a Rancho receiver, who literally was closer to the ball in the end zone and got tackled by the receiver, and they called defensive pi. Wow. I, I, which I literally hate that call. You know, receivers can get away with so much. Jeremiah Cordell was tremendous. Yeah. Only played, I think, maybe one or two possessions on defense. Yeah. Had an interception to go with the two touchdowns. And, you know, Rancho's defense, I know people want to see Jeremiah playing defense, and so do I, but their defense did a really good job. I mean, David Baldwin, you know, had two interceptions in the first quarter, only had 105 yards total for, for him. Uh, had two really nice end zone fades that were just beautiful passes. Yeah. But LaShawn Potts, they're they're really good looking receiver. Receiver, yeah. He had 106 yards of throwing. They did twice, not once, but twice. Two wide receiver passes. Two wide receiver screens. So he yeah. actually threw for one more yard than Baldwin did on only two attempts. But you know, I, I get it. You know, it happens in the first play of the game. Taj Davis went deep. Yeah. Don't let it happen again, right? It happened again. It happened again. They did the same exact wide receiver screen, goes deep, Potts goes deep. Yeah. To Davis again. Tended like the 10 or 15 yard line. So just one of those games that was just kind of hard to watch. I knew the outcome already before I watched it. Sure. Obviously, because it was a tape-delayed game. Probably the most controversial play was the the fourth down play. Uh, Upland's up. It was 30-23. to 23. It's fourth down and about a yard. They went for it on their own 29-yard line, which is very Matt Logan-esque, very Centennial-esque. And it looked to me that David got stood up at the line of scrimmage. Sure. They gave him a really generous spot, yeah. which that ticked off Rancho even more so. Yeah. So then you got, you know, now David's taking a knee. You got Rancho defensive lineman pushing the offensive lineman over. 
end of the game, you got Rancher on the field, you got a guy who didn't play in the game spiking the flag on the middle of the field. It, it was just, there was no handshake in that one, which was a good move because there was, might have been a fight in that game. Yeah. I don't know, man. It was just kind of weird. Trash talking going crazy. Yeah, yeah, I'm spiking sure. the I think everyone wants, wants to be Baker Mayfield now, but if you're going to spike the flag, yeah. play in the game. Yeah, how about that? You know what I'm saying? I want to take you back to one of the big highlights before we move on. Yeah. So Rancho's got the ball inside the five-yard line. They they hand it off to their running back, and Justin Flo hits a gap and yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. you Blew know swallows the guy. I mean, pause, but I mean, just tore the guy, tore into a guy. And I want to take you through a, a linebacker's eyes at that point, Greg. So as a linebacker like I was, and Justin Flo is. You know, this team's got the ball at the five, inside the five. You, you anticipate run. You're looking at the eyes of the offensive linemen. They're kind of peeking on who they're looking at. You're looking at their their hands, how much weight they got on their hands. Are they coming forward? Or are they, they going to try to give a pass block out of a play-action fake? You anticipate and run. You don't see anybody looking at you, so you're thinking, you know, I may be freed up here. Once the play starts, Greg, and I'm going to give it to you in slow motion. The thing opens up. But before it opens up, you have an inclination. You have the instincts. You feel it. It's coming off tackle your way. And you're going to hit it before they get it. And as you, as the ball is snapped, you hit it full speed. And that thing opens up and it parts to see. And next thing you know, you're in the backfield. And there's six inches before contact. I always tell my six-year-old son there, you can become a man, you can become a mouse. Six inches before contact. And baby man. The show, Justin Flo, becomes a absolute man-child and a- annihilates the runner and, and, and walks his body all over him and gets up and just gets freaky with him. And I say, oh, Justin, you remind me of me. He's a bad boy. I love it, Greg. Did, 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 was, that, was that clear for you? Was that good? I, I loved it, too. You, you might be the only guy that reminds Justin Flo of you, but I love that you, I love that you think that way. That makes you unique. That you, makes you who you are as a, as a person. That's you, you beautiful. Can, you, you can call it what you want, it, Greg. All state first team as a junior. It was like division division eight. No, division hell nine. no, Come on, Greg, man. Greg, Cal High Sports. I, I worked for Cal High Sports, man. You might have voted man. me that, Greg. Are you, are you kidding me? <laughs> I probably. I was, dude, I was. I covered you, man. No doubt. About you could go. No, but from Rancho again, Nick Acosta. I'm really impressed. The guy's really good. We talked off camera. I'm not comparing to this guy, but Russell Wilson for me is so good. So hard to sack. Dude, Nick Acosta for Rancho does a really good job buying time. He threw for 262. They had more yards. Rancho had more yards. Sean Dollars ran the ball pretty well, 14 for 81. Had a touchdown. I like the way Sean ran. He ran with some authority. Yeah. Nice forward lean. He always, always falling forward after every tackle. It just was a, a bit if they played, you know, five times, they'd probably split. The two really so? evenly matched. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this was a game that was just, again, just ugly, no flow to it. Um, you know, neither team can get really the, the – you know, Upland could get their running game going, although I, I did uh, I did like the way Cameron Davis runs. You know, he had 54 yards rushing, tough yards. Everything was tough. Yeah. No, nothing was given except for the two wide receiver deep, deep balls. You know, rivalry game. Yeah. yeah. Rivalry game. Let's so, move along. Yeah. So last one we got uh, is a game I was at, which was St. John Bosco. Took down Orange Lutheran 42-21. to That was a game that was actually 28-21 in the fourth quarter. It was a game... Where I, you always felt Bosco was in control. Yeah. Even when Orange Luth would do something good, you never felt like Bosco was going to lose it. But when it was 20 to 21, Orange Luth, man, they were really feeling it. You know, they were excited. They're 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 playing well. They're, you know, Helensky just took an absolute beating. But um, for me, quarterback, I'm big on toughness. Yeah, absolutely. Toughness shows leadership, and he took an absolute beating from those guys. You know, Sal Spino was in the backfield the whole game. 
Cole Aubrey was in the backfield the whole entire game. I mean, they're all all those D linemen were in the backfield. Yeah. Um, Pepe was in the backfield. Yeah. Linebackers getting shots. Gilbert was getting shots. Blaylock's ridiculous. Just no ridiculous. No doubt. And I had a, I had a coach from Bosco tell me, you know, he thought Jalil Wadud was the smartest player he ever coached. He said Jalil, he said Stephen Blake is the smartest player he's ever coached. So they watch film and he points stuff out that they didn't even see. And yeah. and, and Blaylock was just he's always in the right spot, at the right time. If you're Orange Blue, you, you can you can build off of this because again, it's a 42 to 21 game. That's what two touchdowns, three touchdowns. Yeah. It was probably closer to that at the end. They didn't try to run the ball because they knew they couldn't. A lot of short passes. Then they went deep to Cal Ford a couple times. Ford was was impressive as heck, as we knew he would be. Um, some drop balls. Mm. Not going to name names, but, you know, some drop balls. Logan Loya was not a guy who dropped balls. Logan was open. The receivers were getting open, and, and that's the thing. Interesting. Um, they made them one-dimensional, and they were still guys running open. There was guys, again, talking to the OC, you know, there was guys running the wrong routes who if they run the right route, there was plays to be made. Uh, I think I just think I walked away from that game just being really impressed with Bosco's physicality, just how they play, the edge that they play with George Halani, just as a perfect running back for that edge and that personality. Yeah. Sandbeast was making plays. He's gotten better. Nathaniel Jones. I think people, we may, may mention his real name ever on the show, but it's Nathaniel <laughs> Jones. But he's getting so much better. The first couple of times I watched him, he looked really indecisive. Yeah. And now Coach Ricks has got him running downhill with power. Yeah. I mean, the way he looks, dude, you should always be going power, power, There's power. There's no doubt. They got Jude Wolf involved in the offense. Oh, we talked Jude about Jude Wolf that. was good. Yeah, he was yeah. good. He was really good. Um, you know, Real got off running the ball. He had two touchdowns, and that's what he's. That's when he's really. You know, when he gets out in the open, gets some space. Yeah. He can make you miss, and he's tough to bring down. He's a weight room freak. He's got great speed. DJ had three touchdowns throwing it. Right. So, um, it, it was it was a a pretty solid performance, I would say, for both teams. But just the physicality that Bosco plays with just really jumps out at you to the point where people would say they're almost dirty. I, do, I will say they kind of play with a with a Miami Hurricane type swagger and an edge to them. Mm-hmm. And something that we talked about a little bit over the weekend was they got called for a ton of penalties. I think almost 180 penalties. It's a lot of penalties. Some of them were weak. Yeah. But when you play with that kind of edge and emotion, when you taunt and talk a lot, yeah. And you're talking to the refs. You're talking to the other team. You're constantly kind of just portraying yourself as this, how the Miami Hurricanes did. Yeah, you're gonna get a you're, you're gonna get some. That's what they look like. They want to be the villain, which is fine. But you're gonna get some calls against you, just because of that image. Of course, Miami got calls against them back in the day because, but they embraced that image, right? Right. So they didn't complain about it. You you, you can't complain about it. You just got to know that that's kind of how it is. If you want to be that team. You know, I just walking to the parking lot and just hearing all the stuff over the weekend. It was a lot of the refs are against us. The refs hate us. It's because we're in Orange County. The refs were out to get us. I'm saying no. It's not because you were playing in Orange County. It's because you were portraying yourself with this image of being like this Miami Hurricane type the swagger. Boys. The bad boys. Yeah. If that's how you're going to be, you can't complain about bad calls. You're going to get some calls that aren't necessarily the correct calls, mm-hmm. but that's a result yeah. of what you're portraying on the field with the taunting yeah. and the hitting through the whistle, sometimes a little bit after the whistle. Yeah. It's the getting up. It's the strutting. It's the standing over the guys. That catches refs' attention. doesn't matter what color the refs are. Yeah. They're going to notice that, and they're going to throw some flags on you that probably aren't super. I mean, Cole got a penalty for hitting the quarterback right when he threw it because yeah. he hit him so hard. And that's just that's just kind of how football is. So that's just kind of I was going to say that for my, my kind of a final thoughts, but I just yeah. kind of put it put it out there right now. And yeah, that's all I kind of got on that game. I know we got to move on. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, 
That's a that's a, that's a great point. That's a great point, Greg. And like you say, if you're gonna play with that type of that type of edge, you gotta expect some of those fringe calls are gonna go against you. There's no reason to sit there and complain. Just play harder, play meaner, play faster, play smarter. Play, play smarter. Play, yeah, absolutely. Play smarter. So uh, we're gonna bring that as the close and the wrap up to the show. We appreciate you joining us. Be prepared for our matchup show this Friday. We're going to be talking a big St. John Bosco modern day game. we got a ton of good information, little nuggets that you're going to want to hear all about. Social media drops. You can follow me on Twitter, Coach Keith underscore MP stands for National Preps. Follow, follow my man at, at Greg Biggins on Twitter. Follow the truth, the Transparent Truth Show. Please go on iTunes or radio.com and subscribe, rate the show, and leave some feedback or a review. We would really appreciate it. Without further ado, there's a new sheriff in town, and his name's Reggie Hammond. Y'all be cool.